All right, so, Miles, we're going to do a quick experiment, okay? Okay. All right, first thing, I just want you to close your eyes. All right. And picture in your mind an AI, like artificial intelligence. Okay. What does it look like? A circle blob purple thing. Okay. <laughs> it's like a, and, um, It's like Siri. I think I'm picturing Siri. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, so the question is, do you feel like you're able to actually see that purple blob thing form oh. in your head? Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it's going dark, but initially I felt like I saw it. I don't know. Like you could actually see it, even though it's not in front of you, right? Like you had your eyes but, closed yeah. and you kind of like have this picture in your mind. Yeah. 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 It's really messing me up right now but yes i think <laughs> yeah, isn't that isn't that weird like how is it how is it that we're able to actually see these things without them being in front of us and like ultimately the the, the thing that really messes you up is how is this any different than a hallucination oh my god yeah <laughs> i don't think it is right is it different well, uh, we're going to find out because on today's episode of Work Association, we're taking a deeper look at the word vision. Welcome to Work Association. I'm Nick. I'm Miles. We run a creative agency together, and now we're the hosts of this podcast. Work Association is a show about the intersection between technology, design, and the experience of being a human. It's a word association game Miles and I invented to learn about new and interesting things so we can expand the way we think about the work we do every day as brand storytellers and experience designers. Each week, Miles and I switch off roles. One of us chooses a word for the other to research in the context of design, technology, or branding, then we meet back up and talk about what we found. At the end of each episode, the researcher picks another word that they associate to the story they told and then we switch off and do it all over again. So there's a few different meanings behind the word vision. Uh, on one hand, we're talking about the physical, sort of the act of physically seeing something. But a vision can also mean something more paranormal, like a premonition or even a hallucination. Yet in the context of business, a vision is more like a company goal. and being visionary means that you're innovative. So today we're going to explore how our brains work in terms of both literal sight and the development of ideas, and how a deeper understanding of these things can give us a different perspective on creating an effective brand. Sound good? Oh my god. Awesome. I'm excited. Nice. So the first thing to talk about is vision as in sight, uh, which is the predominant way most human beings discover and experience the world around them. Nearly 70% of the sensory receptors in your entire body are in the eyes, and nearly half of your cerebral cortex is active and involved in seeing, perceiving, and recognizing visual information. So how does all of this work? Well, when we use our sense of vision, we're not really seeing the things around us per se, we're sensing the light that bounces off of stuff. That light enters the eye through the iris, and hits the back of the eyeball, which is called the retina, where it bounces back towards the front of the eye. Huh. 
As it travels across the retina, the light activates photoreceptor cells. Those photoreceptor cells are called rods and cones. Do you know what the difference is between rods and cones? Um, no, I don't remember. Okay, cool. So rods are basically what allow you to see in kind of black and white or grayscale. Mm, right. Yeah, they're a type of photoreceptor that are much more sensitive than cones, um, but they also don't really carry the ability to actually see color that well, which is why in low light you can see, but you have trouble discerning different colors. Cones, on the other hand, are color receptors, and they're a lot like the pixels in an LCD screen. They're each individually sensitive to either red, green, or blue light, and together, the rods and cones in our eyes allow us to see like 10 million different color values. Wow. But what really happens is that when these photoreceptors become activated, they convert light energy into nerve impulses that the brain can understand and transmit those impulses up through the optic nerve directly to the visual cortex in the occipital lobe of the brain, which is like right in the back of your head. So like Del the Funky Homo Sapiens said on the song Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas, you don't see with your eyes, you perceive with your mind. Amazing. So that's physical vision. But what about internal vision? Well, what's interesting about our senses is that the brain is an imperfect system. And when we think about what vision means metaphorically, we're really talking about imagination. Scientifically, hmm. we still don't really understand how or why we're able to see pictures in our minds. It's thought that imagination is the result of all the areas in your brain related to our sense of sight working together as if they were actually perceiving an outside stimulus and kind of working together to form images in the mind. So, for instance, Miles, when you're reading, like, you know, reading a book or reading something on the computer, do you hear words that are on the page in your head? Yeah, I do, for sure. Yeah. So it's been found that when we read, that perception of the inner voice is your brain taking visual information of words on a page translating it from shapes into recognizable language patterns and understanding them by processing them through the part of your brain responsible for hearing speech. So when you're hearing what you're reading in your head, it's because your brain is acting like it's actually hearing it. Oh, wow. I'll pause there for a second to let you freak out. That's so insane. So it's like, it's, it's not that I'm just imagining or whatever that word means in this context that it's actually like that I'm actually hearing my voice or seeing something I'm thinking about as far as my brain is concerned it thinks that I'm actually physically seeing that and it's trying to comprehend it and think about it yeah it's it's using the same areas the same right. parts of the brain to process mm -hmm. that information as if it was real um, but it's just happening inside your head. <laughs> That's so crazy. So, yeah. So what's, what's like kind of trippy to think about is that reality, hallucination, illusion, and imagination are all essentially the same thing. Your brain somehow knows whether it's perceiving outside stimuli or internally created stimuli. Reality is what the brain perceives to be external stimuli and imagination is made up of internally created stimuli. 
Oh my God. Hallucination is when your brain essentially mistakes internal stimuli as external stimuli. And illusion is when external stimuli are misinterpreted by the brain as other or different external stimuli. Like when film crews use forced perspective to make right. one actor seem like a giant in comparison to another actor by placing them closer to the camera. It kind of makes it seem like they're huge, but it's just your eyes playing tricks on you. Well, really, your brain playing tricks on you at that point. Wow, that is so interesting. Um, I, yeah, I always <laughs> thought that it was... I had a feeling that, you know, your brain was processing it in the same way. I didn't realize scientifically like that's literally what's going on. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I thought there was some other part of your brain that like, you know, uh, tries to compute everything. But yeah, that's that's crazy that it's the same exact parts of your brain that's doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we've discussed, all of these different parts of our brain are actually working together to process information and allow us to experience the world around us. And the way in which it does this, it, it's not only fascinating, it's actually really kind of strange. Like, just like the language and speech centers of our brain are used in interpreting the written word, essentially allowing us to hear written language, language also affects the way that we physically see the world. Mm. So Gavin Evans, a lecturer at Birkbeck University and the author of The Story of Color, said, our perception of color is not only related to the colors we see, but to the words we give colors. So there's several cultures, including the ancient Greeks, that lack a word for the color blue. Oh, my gosh. For instance, uh, in the works of Homer, the ancient Greek poet who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, Right. We find that the color of the sea is described as wine dark. Oh my god. Wait, that that's like literally that's literally what he says like that he wrote. Yeah, so when they're describing the color of the sea, they call it wine yeah. dark. Wow. And a word that translates to the color blue, you know, from ancient Greek cannot be found in his writing. So it's theorized that they actually saw the color blue differently than we do. That's so insane. Yeah. So according to Gavin Evans and his studies and things, in ancient Greece, blue is essentially understood as a variant of the color green. And this can actually be scientifically tested today. In fact, it was scientifically tested there's a tribe in Africa, the Himba tribe of Namibia, and they're another culture that don't have a word for the color blue, and they too associate blue as a type of green. So their color words, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce this right, their color <laughs> yeah. words are sarandu, which is used to describe reds, browns, oranges, uh -huh. and some yellows, dambu, which includes a variety of greens, reds, beige, and yellows. Wait, this one word means all of those colors that you just said that's right yeah oh my god zuzu which uh is used to describe most dark colors like black dark red dark purple etc papa which is used for some yellows and whites and buru which is used to describe a collection of greens and blues buru this one word means both some greens and some blues in a scientific study conducted by debbie robertson jules davidoff Ian R.L. Davies, and Lara R. Shapiro, Himba people were shown a collection of 12 colored tiles arranged in a circle on a screen. So you picture, you know, 12 little squares, 
in a circle, just on a screen. Right. 11 of these tiles were all the same color and one was different. So in the first test, 11 tiles were green and one was a slightly darker shade of green. Slightly darker meaning like to Western eyes, the difference may not be noticeable at all or it would take a while to notice. But to the Mm. Himbas, they were different enough to quickly pick out the darker tile. And in the second test, the researchers showed the same circle of color tiles, except 11 tiles were green and one was blue. So what do you think happens? This makes no sense, but <laughs> they don't recognize the difference or do they recognize? Yeah, pretty the much. They, d- they don't see the difference. So, so they can tell the difference in, what is it? Tone? Uh, or or the the brightness or like how bright or dark the color is and but they can't distinguish from green to blue is that what you're saying yeah so in the first test they're able to see a slightly darker shade of green and say oh that's a different shade of green but in the second test when they're shown 11 green tiles and one blue tile it takes them a longer period of time to find the difference between the blue and the green Uh. And the reason for this phenomenon is theorized to be that the Himba language has more terms describing different shades of green, where blue and green are grouped together under the same term, meaning that the Himba people have a harder time physically differentiating between colors that we see as completely different from one another, simply because of their language. Oh my god, that is so strange. It's wild. It's it's so wild. It- I'm I'm guessing it's because they don't Yeah, I don't I don't even know how to start thinking about what I just heard. <laughs> it's like It's just the way that their brains are wired. Like that basically yeah. is to say that if there is a word that does not exist in our language that's related to physical vision, we too would have the same issues. Like if we didn't have a oh, word for wow. the color blue, we would not be able to see blue the same way that other people can. That is so bizarre. Yeah. So in the so I guess I could you could like kind of trace it back like in the like as they were evolving and you know their language was kind of also evolving they just never needed a word to describe blue right because yeah or the language just evolved in a way where blues and greens somehow got lumped together. Oh, they just got lumped together, right, right. Yeah. Jeez. Now I'm just scared that like, I, it, it's always like, can you discover a new color? You know, <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like now there's like a, a ghost color out there that's just going to pop up or something that we just don't see because it's not in the English language. Oh God. Yeah. But I mean, it, it potentially goes beyond just, you know, color, you know, I think that the the whole concept here is that there are so many different ways that our brains have interconnections between things that you wouldn't necessarily conceptually understand as interconnected and it affects the way that you interpret information both visually and other types of information as well so what does all of this teach us in the context of business and branding the brain is hardwired to harness both conceptual things like language and physical things like sight and sound together to understand the world Mm. and it can use things like inner vision or imagination to do things like solve problems 
generate ideas, and aid in creating and achieving goals. This is why we talk about the vision, you know, quote unquote vision of a company. It's a clear sense of purpose, a mental picture that the leaders of a company have developed for what they expect the company or even the world will look like in the future and how their company fits into or creates that reality. So Miles, what would you say is the vision you have for Suits and Sandals, our company, our agency that we run together? Um, I mean, I always have an internal thing, but now after just hearing all of this, I feel like I have to now think of a new one. But <laughs> <laughs> I've always seen our company as, you know, uh, connecting our connecting brands with our audiences, right? Like that's kind of like the simplest way I could put it. Um, but, but yeah, now, now it feels like I don't want to miss out on a color, you know what I mean? (laughs) So (laughs) I want to make sure that it gets communicated like in its totality, just hearing like, oh, wow, you can really shape and you can really influence, um, you know, your reality by like limiting your, you know, vision or, you know, not thinking about it comprehensively. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's definitely opening up my mind. Um, what do you think our vision is? I I mean, I would agree with you. I think ultimately, you know, we're looking to create, uh, an environment where we are both changing how, um, our clients perceive the agency relationship. Um, you know, we talked a little bit in a previous episode about transparency and trying to, um, develop trustworthiness and that's kind of a huge thing for us but also i think ultimately like we're trying to get to the bottom of being actionable where we are you know connecting people um between like our brands that we work with and Mm -hmm. their customers and then also just like solving problems right um that's like really our mission is connect people solve problems uh so the, the vision is one where you know, we're working with clients, they are super happy with our service, and they have a different appreciation for what it's like to work with an agency. And that ultimately, you know, they are able to achieve the results that they're looking for and solve the problems they're looking to solve. And that there are more brands out there that are uh, much more comprehensive and fleshed out um, from a creative perspective and a storytelling perspective than existed previously. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, right? Like we're in a unique position right now because we're talking about vision from this perspective of how other business leaders can contextualize having a vision for their company. But we're also leaders of our own company and mm-hmm. we're guiding that company towards a vision that we have for our business. So it's, you know, like it, it's just as important, I think, to really be able to communicate that vision to others. Exactly. So, so, you know, how does all of this, everything that we've looked at so far, relate to branding? I think it's clear that culture, experience, and language are all important pieces of context that are necessary in understanding how an audience sees your brand, both literally and metaphorically. Things like color and form are interpreted differently by people based on their culture, and conceptually, ideas communicated to an audience are internalized differently as well. When a leader has a particularly ambitious or clear idea and a picture of the future, they're called visionary. And as it turns out, there are some things we can learn about how to communicate ideas 
by listening to the way that these visionary leaders talk. And that's what Noah Zandon did. He's a data scientist, and he and his team spent two years building a database of people's communications containing millions of pieces of text, audio, and video. And then he asked thousands of audience groups why they like, trust, engage with, and believe certain types of people, leaders, and messages. And they used uh, natural language processing, phonetic analysis, and even facial and gesture recognition to make sense of what he calls, quote unquote, unconscious signals. Hmm. The things that people do without realizing it that influences how their audiences receive the messages that they're sending. They used this model and ran it on the world's top visionary leaders, people like FDR, Martin Luther King, a bunch of different CEOs, people who have given TED Talks, inventors, and so on. They ran that analysis at scale, comparing hundreds of their transcripts against a benchmark of just you know normal everyday communicators. And what they found is that the world's top communicators had three things in common. And the biggest thing here is that you would expect that visionaries talk about the future a lot, but in reality, they speak much more in the present tense than in the future tense. Mm. They communicate 15% more about today and 14% less about tomorrow than the average communicator. Why is that? That's crazy. Yeah. When when he was talking through that, so it's it's from a TED Talk. I definitely recommend you watch it. Um, sure. We'll leave a, a link in the show notes. Um, it's, it's just really interesting that, uh, you know, they automatically sort of naturally have these habits and it just... Mm results in people trusting them more uh and to kind of give a little bit more context um the difference between speaking in the present tense and the future tense when it comes to visionary ideas is in the context of like we will achieve these goals versus we plan to achieve these goals right the second way leaves the audience asking how while the first way feels more credible believable and actionable right Yep. So one really great example that he gave in this talk was Elon Musk, the CEO of both Tesla and SpaceX. His visions for the future are insanely ambitious. Right. You know, sure. he's talking about he's talking about moving to Mars and stuff. But the way he talks about them are rooted in the here and now. So here's a quote from Elon talking about Tesla. Quote, the question is, how do you accelerate the advent of electric transport? In order to do that for cars, you have to come up with a really energy efficient car. So that means making it incredibly light, end quote. He's not talking about the distant future of electric transport. He's not talking about hovercrafts. He's talking about big ideas and concepts, and he's taking them and bringing them closer to the present, which makes it feel realistic and attainable. What makes somebody a visionary is not just having an ambitious idea or an ambitious vision. It's about understanding how to clearly communicate that vision so it feels real. Mm. And I think that by understanding how the brain interprets and understands messages and visual information, we can all create more effective brands. Wow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think brands even think about the nuance here. And this is super important. So, Obviously, we help our clients craft the perfect vision and mission statements, right? It's one of the most valuable services we offer, I think. And they've always been developed based on all of our research and discovery work. While 
Yeah. They're almost always spot on. And, you know, I think we do a really good job distilling the brand's vision into, you know, a really elegant statement. I feel like, for me at least, it's never occurred to me to present the future by speaking in the present tense to really drive it home. Because, yeah, that definitely does make it real. It makes it attainable and inspiring in the context of, a, you know, a, a vision statement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think like the the real like the biggest distinction here is that you can talk about the future but contextualize it in the present tense. So when you're saying something mm, regarding right. like what the state of the future will look like, you're talking about the state of the future in the present tense. So you're saying something like in the future everyone is happy versus in the future everyone will be happy right? That's going to, you know, make it feel like you are able to imagine in your head, Mm -hmm. you as an audience member doing those things or being a part of that new world, even if it's not readily attainable now, it makes it feel realistic enough to imagine rather than opening up a bunch of questions of like, well, how are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that? You know, it just kind of like, yeah, it just makes it attainable, makes it realistic, makes it trustworthy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really does seem like such a small tweak to how you say things, but the resulting impact of the statement is it's just so profound. Um, to your point, it doesn't create room for doubt or hesitation at all. To anyone listening to this, I would say give this a try, not just in your vision statement, but probably in daily communication where you have to convey an optimistic and ambitious future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that was a pretty quick episode, but I think we covered a lot of ground. That was, <laughs> my brain is going to need the rest of the day to like pretty much process everything that just went down. That was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm really looking forward to kind of like taking a look back at a lot of the recent work that we've done in terms of, you know, brand strategies, storytelling, communication strategy work, and just kind of seeing like, where are we really kind of making the most of, you know, these different techniques in terms of speaking in the present tense, understanding, you know, the context of the, you know, audience culture and Mm -hmm. really thinking about like, you know, how do they process language? How do they process visual information? Those kinds of things. Because I think ultimately, like, we probably, I mean, we already do a pretty good job of this for sure. Um, but it would be interesting to see, like, how much can we do to improve communications by thinking a little bit more like a visionary, you know? Yeah. And, you know, on the technical side of things, I'm really looking forward to taking what we've learned in regards to how the brain visualizes things and applying it to our work in design. Because there's a constant balancing act that we do whenever we stitch word and image together. I mean, you know, if you take websites, for example, you see image and content pairs. And a challenge everyone has when designing this particular pair is designing how the two, the text and the image, you know, how they interact with each other. Uh, You'll often see solutions like the content's too lengthy and, you, you know, you end up, you're just staring at a wall of text and then a photo on the right. Or you get the right amount of text, but then the image itself is it's just too busy. Or, you know, it takes a while to connect with the content. 
So based on what we've learned today, we know that the brain doesn't always need the quote unquote full picture to see the picture. You know what I mean? Like if you find yourself writing two paragraphs to explain things, you can probably cut it down and say the rest with an image. Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that written word is technically, you know, it it's understood differently by the brain than, you know, something like an image of a person, an image of an apple, an image of a product. But at the same time, it is physical visual information and it has its own form. So understanding that like there's this crossover of how the brain interprets that language through the language center and the speech center of their brain, as well as the fact that it's just sitting on a page visually. It's not just, you know, what's the message and how is it being communicated um, theoretically or academically, but also, you know, what does that message look like visually? Um, And, you know, can we kind of like use that to our advantage, understanding more about how the brain processes information to be able to, you know, kind of create a more cohesively uh, linked, um, you know, image. And I mean, it also calls to mind something that uh, I knew about prior to this episode, which is that when you're talking about something like a PowerPoint presentation, when you have too many words on the page uh, or, or on the slide, you know, an audience member is going to be reading those words on the slide And then you're also going to be talking through the presentation. And when you have too much visual information being processed at the same time as actual auditory information, because of the fact that all of that information is being sort of processed through the same parts of the brain, your brain has to pick one. It has to pick a signal to cancel out. And so you have to decide, do you want to have more text on the presentation or do you want to be able to open it up for you know, the actual, you know, speaker to fill in the gaps and really amplify the presentation. Um, because there's a lot less emotion that you can have on the page, um, with, with just text than, you know, the sort of clarifying points and the emphasis and all those other kind of like techniques that we were talking about of unconscious signals, um, in the way that you talk, um, that will sort of, you know, result in a, in a more positive, reception by the audience. And I think that like thinking about it from that perspective, not just in the context of a PowerPoint presentation, but video or in-person interactions with um, people that are, you know, brand representatives, whether that's a a sales pitch or or something Mm -hmm. else, like all of that, like understanding this sort of concept of how your brain takes in and, and categorizes and, you know, Right. Recognizes these different patterns of information uh, and, and stores it into short term memory and then long term memory. Like it really, I think, gives you a new angle to think about in, in terms of creating messages that will really sink in and, you know, result in the highest positive impact that you can get. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of language affecting the way in which we perceive the world, it's just so fascinating. I mean, it validates one really important step in our discovery and research process, and that's to look beyond competitors, right? Like, we always try to study and get inspired by industries that might not even be related at all to our clients' industry. And we do this so that we can expand our perception, and in doing so, we become more creative, I think. 
you know, if we're working with, say, a beverage brand and all we did was research other beverage companies, our creative solutions would be so limited and the concepts would, I think, feel super flat. Totally. Uh, And so what we typically do is, you know, we would look at car companies, fashion brands, space companies, (laughs) a hardware store, like whatever. It's almost limitless, right? Because I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is find inspiration and that can exist literally anywhere, I think. So yeah, the wider and more diverse our search becomes, you know, the bigger the possibilities are for really impactful creative. So if language can in fact affect the way in which we perceive the world, then in our line of work, we'll we'll want to speak as many languages as we can. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Um, okay, cool. So that's that's everything I got. Uh, and I think that like we're both coming out of this discussion with sort of fresh eyes, if you will, like a whole new way of seeing things. Man, these puns are ridiculous, but... Um, <laughs> that's what happens <laughs> anyway so now's the part of the show that we always anticipate most uh miles <laughs> it's time for you to receive your word all right let's hear it um so the word for you to research this week is form oh okay nice i'm excited about that word i already have a few ideas in my head right off the bat obviously i'm very familiar with the word but We'll see if I can try and research something that I don't know about. <laughs> I think that's just what always happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go into it, you think like, oh, I'm going to start here. Like with me, I started this whole sort of, uh, you know, vision search, um, looking up what is vision. And immediately, right. like I kind of thought that like my, my Google search results would be related to like seeing things like the physical, yeah. you know, um, sense of, of vision, sense of sight. Uh, but everything that popped up was how to write a vision statement and kind of like right. more company related stuff. And so that's what brought up like, like literally from the first Google search, I went from thinking about how does the eye work to why is it called a vision statement and right. how is the actual physical sense of vision tied to things related to business like where's the intersection and i found it but you know it it's it's really interesting how you kind of like think you're going to start in one direction and go in a completely different direction yeah yeah um yeah see this is why you always want to venture outside of the box as they say um yeah you you end up in some pretty interesting places totally all right well i'm going to look up the word form and figure out what that means according to the internet (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully report back all right well thanks everyone for joining and be sure to listen next time thanks for listening to work association if you like this episode please subscribe tell a friend and give us a rating or review the show was produced by max bangora and hosted by miles rojas and nick dank that's me Work Association is brought to you by Suits and Sandals, a brand communications and creative agency that helps companies tell better stories and create better digital experiences. To learn more about us, go to suits-sandals.com. That's S-U-I-T-S-S-A-N-D-A-L-S.com.